You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. But today we're continuing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks, excuse me, called Exiles and Hope. And what we've been doing is we've been teaching through the New Testament book of 1 Peter, which is actually a letter that the apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were scattered throughout the various provinces of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. And if you remember, we've said all along that these Christians were experiencing a lot of persecution. They were going through some intense suffering. They were experiencing hostility from their unbelieving pagan neighbors. And so into this context, Peter is writing this letter to encourage the believers. And it's amazing how almost 2,000 years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's so much in this letter for you and me today. And so let me just kind of remind you where we've been because we're a few weeks into the series and maybe you're joining us for the first time today. Let me just kind of remind you of some of the ground that we've covered, okay? First of all, Peter begins by reminding the believers of who they are in Christ. He says, you've been given new birth into a living hope. That's how you got here in the first place. And then he goes on to describe how the gospel is meant to bring transformation into our lives. Christianity isn't just something we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just a set of beliefs and doctrine. It's something that comes into your life to transform your life. That's a good spot to say amen, early service. I need your help this morning to help me preach today, okay? Then he goes on to describe who and what they're becoming. He says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people belonging to God. You're a holy nation. Like that's who you are. Live into who you're called to be. And then last week, Pastor Chris was here. My good friend, Pastor Chris from Baltimore, he was here. And he began to teach on chapter two, where Peter begins to give instructions for how Christians are relate to, to, to relate to the world around them, to the government and to leaders and to how slaves should respond to masters, which was just a reality of the time back then. He begins to speak into relationships, how Christians relate to people. And basically what we looked at last week in chapter two is he says, live a life full of good deeds and humility and submission to authority so that you can influence the people around you for Christ. Basically follow the example of Jesus. And so today we're gonna move into chapter three, but we're gonna continue that idea. Peter continues this same line of thinking. And so here's, here's the question. How do we live as exiles in relationship to each other? The whole theme of this letter, Peter says, you're exiles, you're sojourners, sojourners, you're foreigners. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You live here and now, but you have an assignment. You have a mission. There's purpose over your life. How do you live that out. And that changes the way you relate to people. You don't relate to people the way everybody else in this broken, fallen world relates to people. You now relate to people out of the new creation that you are in Christ Jesus. You now relate to people out of the new humanity, the new heart that God has given you. And so here's the big idea today, if you're taking notes, every relationship is an opportunity for influence. Every relationship is an opportunity for influence. 
to influence people for the kingdom of God. Your marriage, if you're married, isn't just about your happiness and satisfaction. It's an opportunity to influence the world around you, to influence your spouse for the kingdom of God. Your, Your coworkers, your friendships, your family, the professional settings you find yourself in. You're not just in those relationships by accident. God has placed you in relationships so that you can be an influence for the kingdom of God. You can be an influence for the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about that, that today. The way we relate to people, it matters when we love well. When we relate to people out of a new heart, out of this new creation that God has made us to be in Christ, the world will take notice. In fact, I'm listening to an audio book right now by a renowned sociologist named Rodney Stark, who writes a lot about church history. And he's not necessarily a Bible-believing Christian. He's a researcher. And I'm listening to a book right now called Cities of God. It's about the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And I'm only a little ways into the book, but let me just give you a sneak peek. Right up front, he says the number one thing that caused Christianity to spread throughout the Roman Empire, to saturate the Roman Empire, was friendships and relationships. Christianity spread through social networks. These believers, they listened to the words that Peter and Paul and the other apostles wrote to them, and they lived it out well, and it made a difference in the world around them, and it literally changed the world. And so in these verses that we're going to look at today, Peter addresses three categories of people— Wives, husbands, and believers in general, okay? So we're going to talk a lot about husbands and wives. If you're not married today, you can still take some notes and listen. Maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe you're thinking about getting engaged. Maybe you're living together and you're wondering, what what does it matter, right, to to be married in today's world? Um, Maybe you're single and you'd like to be married. You're available. Hello. Like, I'm ready, Lord. Send them my way. Like, let's lean in, okay? There's something for all of us today. And then we're going to land the plane by talking about how we relate to other believers in the church into the world around us. Peter gives us some, some good thoughts around that idea, okay? So first, we're going we're gonna to dive into this part about husbands and wives in chapter 3. Now, fair warning. The passages that I'm about to read, these scriptures have often been abused and misunderstood. This is one of those, one of those, those uh, parts of Scripture that have oftentimes been abused, sadly, in the church, and they've been un- misunderstood. So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to require some explanation. There are some landmines that we have to navigate in this text today. But let me just tell you, hang in there. There are some beautiful truths for us today that can change our hearts about how we relate to each other, especially if you're married today. And by the way, if you're single and you're satisfied and you're not looking for anybody, just start praying for the rest of us right now. Begin interceding and just praying for the married people in the house or those who would aspire to be married. We need your prayers. Married people, can I get an amen? Somebody, all right? But there are some beautiful truths in here for us to understand. So first of all, we're going to talk about how Christian wives should relate to their husbands. Then we're going to get to to the husbands next. How Christian wives should relate to their husbands. Are you ready? Ladies, take a deep breath. Let's jump into it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what Peter writes, not Pastor Jeremy. Peter writes this. Wives, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, They may be won over without words by the behavior 
of their wives, whether they, excuse me, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. All right, ladies, take a deep breath. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Some people read a passage like that and really misunderstand these verses and think, man, the Bible is so old-fashioned and these verses are meant to, to repress women. Pastor Jeremy, how can you get up here and read a passage of scripture like this? I thought this was a really contemporary church. Don't you know there's a new wave of female empowerment sweeping the country? Didn't you see the Barbie movie? Pastor Jeremy, go see the Barbie movie. <laughs> okay, I get it. I hear you. <laughs> but let me just tell you something. Quite the opposite, Christianity actually brought tremendous freedom to women living in ancient times. In fact, Rodney Stark, the very sociologist I mentioned before, also talks a lot about that. One of the other things that was so winsome about the Christian religion is how it elevated women. Jesus elevated women. Jesus included women in his ministry. In fact, the first witnesses to his resurrection were women who went to the empty tomb. The apostle Paul, elsewhere in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he tells us that, that women have equal value. He says there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, he teaches the principle of mutual submission, that wives are submitted to husbands, but also husbands are submitted to wives as an expression of mutual submission to Jesus Christ. And so Peter is not saying women are inferior, so they should just shut up and listen to whatever their husbands tell them to do. And sadly in the past, some believing Christians have taught it this way. Some pastors have taught it this way. Some husbands have said things like, woman, why don't you just submit? And let me tell you, husbands, if you quote the scripture like this to your wife, don't blame it on me if something happens to you. <laughs> if you turn up missing and it looks like an accident, and she collects the life insurance policy and lives a happy life without you. Don't blame me because that's not the way I'm teaching this today, okay? This is the same Peter who on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born, Peter begins to preach and explain to the people what they were experiencing to him. And he quotes from the book of Joel. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Peter says, women are going to be activated in these last days, in the, in the church age. You're going to also, not just men, you're also going to become the mouthpiece of God. So this is Peter who said this, all right? So we, we have some idea of his heart. So what is Peter talking about here? Peter is talking about submission in marriage as an expression of devotion to Christ. Let's look at this again, verse one. He says, wives, in the same way, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, what does that mean? Well, all of this goes back to what we covered last week in chapter 2, what Pastor Chris taught on in verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says this. This is kind of the setup for this whole section that we're still in. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. In other words, Peter's saying God is a God of order. 
God is a God of order. And here we see that he brings order and structure into the family. Peter is saying to believing wives, come under the leadership of your husband and support him. This, this isn't meant to be in some controlling, uh, demeaning thing. This isn't about who's the boss. In other words, he's saying wives voluntarily show Respect and honor to your husband. Why? Because of your respect and your devotion to Jesus Christ. Not just because it's the cultural expectation of the time, which actually at that time, it was the cultural expectation. Peter says, go beyond that. This is about your heart. This is about something you voluntarily do to honor Jesus Christ. And I know what some of you might be thinking, what if my husband doesn't deserve my submission? What if my husband doesn't deserve my, my respect? There may be times where you feel like he doesn't deserve your respect or your honor or your submission, but it's not about whether he deserves it. This is an act of devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what, what Peter is saying to us. How many of you know we don't get to just, you know, pick and choose what scriptures we like and how they make us feel in the moment. That, that's, not, that's not following Jesus. Jesus says, just follow me. Like, follow me, follow my word, follow the principles of my word. And so this is about honoring Christ. Now, Peter and the other New Testament writers like Paul, they clearly give the place of leadership in the family to the husband, but it's always emphasized as a Christ-like leadership. Self-sacrificial, humble, serving. Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul in Ephesians chapter five, he says, let me tell you what it looks like. He says, husbands, I want you to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Hello, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself, self-sacrificial love. And I think most Christian women, women in the church would say, I would like to see my husband exercise more of that kind of leadership in the home. I have never had a Christian woman come to me and complain and say, Pastor Jeremy, I don't know what to do. My husband is behaving so much like Jesus Christ. I don't know what to do. I don't recognize him anymore. I mean, he just puts me first in everything. He always thinks about me. He serves our family so well. You know, he always wants to know what he can do to, he, to serve me. He puts the toilet seat down. Like he's becoming so much like Jesus. I don't recognize him anymore. I have never had that happen. <laughs> I think most women would say, okay, I like that definition of leadership. Jesus-style leadership. Come on, man, can I challenge you to Jesus-style leadership? I was with the author, John Bevere, a few months ago at a pastor's meeting, and he challenged all of the pastors. There was a breakout session where the women did their thing, and the men were all together, and he challenged all the men. He said, your role is to be the chief servant in your home. Man, that's been preaching on me ever since, on those days where I'm complaining about stuff I got to do around the house. Like, your role is to be the chief servant in your home. I like what the theologian Scott McKnight says. He says, marriages that are full of love, respect, and honor rarely need to resort to the issue of submission. In other words, this isn't about ultimatums. This isn't about when it's all said and done. The scripture says, I'm the husband, you got to submit. No, no, no. This is if we're doing this right, if a wife is honoring her husband and recognizing his place in the home, and if a husband is leading in a way that's self-sacrificial and serving, then it shouldn't have to feel like something that's forced. It should feel like a blessing. It should feel good and healthy and right. And let me just kind of tell you what it looks like in our marriage, because I want to brag on my wife because... Throughout our years, and we've been married 20 years, Amy has supported me in every major decision of our lives. 
You know, I'm thankful for the week in and week out, but as I look at every major move we've made in ministry, I think about when I quit my teaching job to go into full-time ministry, and when we moved up to New York and took a leap of faith years ago, and, and then, of course, when we moved from my wife's hometown of Buffalo down here to plant this church, and I've had people ask me about that quite often. Like, what was that like for your wife? As you can imagine, that was a difficult move, right, to leave her family. We spent six years with close to her family before we moved away from family and, and came here. And people are saying, you know, what was that like for, for Pastor Amy? And, and I have to tell you, early on, the, the calling to plant a church was something I sensed before her. But let me tell you something. We prayed about it together. We talked a lot about it. We spent a year kind of going through this process together. There were places we explored going that she didn't feel like that was where we, we should go. And so we, those doors shut, right? And so what I want you to see is that, that, that Pastor Amy stood by me in that season, supported my leadership, prayed with, we, with me. We made the decision together in unity. And it actually took some time for the calling of, of, a, of a church plant to grow in her, hearts, in her heart. But how many of you would say that my wife turned out to be a pretty good church planner? She did pretty good. She keeps this place running. So that's a picture of what it looks like, right? It hasn't been, you know, well, let me just open up the scripture and tell you this is what we're doing. I call the shots around here. No, no, my wife does most of the cooking. She could poison me. And... <laughs> You know, she could do that and, and, <laughs> and just be done with me. It's, it's, it's a lot of praying together. It's a lot of seeking unity together. It's a lot of talking things out and having the heart of God and me caring a lot about her happiness. And so let me ask you this. Let me say this to you. Wives, what your husband needs is your respect. What your husband needs is, is your honor and support. We're wired for that. We need that. And so I don't want to dance around. I want to say that he does. That. He needs your respect. If you're in a relationship and, and, and you're serious and you're thinking about getting married, let me tell you, let this land on you. What he needs is your, is, is your respect. Men need that. We're wired that way. But husbands, let me turn around and challenge you. Are you the kind of husband that's worthy of respect? Are you the kind of husband that's worth submitting to? Or, or, are you leading your home in such a way that, that when your family follows you, they flourish. Because I think, I think the challenge is really for, for men to actually to, to lead more like Jesus, to lead more in the spirit of Jesus with grace and love in our homes. Now, Peter goes on to write this, verses one through two. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So Peter's writing to many wives in the churches whose husbands weren't believers. And the cultural expectation of the day was that a wife would follow whatever religion or gods that her husband was following. So if a woman became a Christian and her husband wasn't a believer, this could be an opportunity for that unbelieving husband to see his wife as rebellious or insubordinate. And so Peter's saying, you have to especially be careful. What we're gonna notice here is actually Peter writes a few more verses to the women here than to the men. And it seems lopsided, but I think it's mostly because of this situation, because there were several women in these churches, several wives in these churches who were married to unbelieving husbands. And so he's writing to encourage them and to remind them like your life, the way you live is the greatest witness that you have to your husband. And I want to just encourage some ladies in the house today. Many of you, this is your reality now. 
I know many women in our church, many wives in our church, maybe you're married to an unbelieving spouse and we have some husbands in the same situation. But can I just encourage you, like your life is a witness. You have no idea how God is working through your life to be a witness to your spouse. Can I encourage you to hang in there? Be encouraged today. Like God is working through your life. He's using your actions. Notice he says, it's not about your words. It's not about preaching to them. It's that without your word, like they, they may be won over without words by the by your behavior by your life by what they see modeled like you are the greatest example of Jesus that your spouse is ever going to see and then Peter goes on to write this in verses three and four. He says, still talking to the ladies, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay, some people miss the whole point here and they take these verses and they, and they take it to mean that Peter is saying that women can never wear jewelry or do their hair nice or wear nice clothes. I mean, seriously, that may sound foreign to some of you, but some of you maybe grew up in some church that, that taught it that way, okay? And I, don't, I think that's an exercise in missing the point, okay? Ladies, please go ahead and fix yourselves up. God bless you. We appreciate it, okay? Peter, here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that your inner, I'll be careful. Peter's saying that your inner character is more important than your outward appearance, Okay? It's amazing how much focus we place on taking care of our bodies. Men and women alike. You know, men, some of you are in the gym multiple times a week and you're taking supplements and you're making sure you look good. And women, of course, you are known for this, right? Taking care of yourselves, going to get your nails done, going to the salon to get your hair done, going to the massage to experience some TLC and be pampered a little bit so you can look good. We want you to look good. That is wonderful. That is a blessing. You you are by far the fairer gender. Thank God for you. But here's what Peter is saying. You can place so much emphasis on the outside appearance to where you look like an Instagram model, but you can, you can miss out on, on actually cultivating your soul. He's saying it, it, it's what's inside of you that matters most. It's your inner beauty that matters most. I love the words of Proverbs 31. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the week that I spent in Honduras last week. And we had a team of 10 people, four guys and six ladies. And I thought about watching just some amazing ladies from our church just love and serve children in poverty all last week. And I thought, that's it. That's the picture. That's real beauty. That's true inner beauty. And I'm so thankful as I look around our church in every direction. We got women serving and leading at every level and being used by God. And I just want to celebrate our ladies. Men, would you help me just honor our ladies in the house today? Because you need to hear from us today that that is true beauty. In a world that tells you that you got to look perfect, you got to look this way. In an Instagram-driven world that's so much about, you know, your, your, your shape and your body and how you look. Listen, Peter is saying, Peter's saying, go ahead. That's fine. You can, you can take care of yourself a little bit, but what's more important is your inner, your inner character, your inner character. Okay. That's the instructions to wives. And then he shifts to, to the husbands. Okay. So point to how Christians, Christian husbands should relate to their wives. 
Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, first of all, what does, what does Peter mean by calling wives the weaker partner? I know some of you ladies are like, what does that mean? Again, is this like some put down to the women? Well, let's take a little closer look, or look at this, this word here. The word partner, it translates more literally from, from the Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. It translates as vessel. Okay, as the weaker vessel. Now, most commentators I've read, almost every commentator, basically says that this is referring to women being the physically weaker partner, the physically weaker vessel, because vessel almost always is a metaphor for the human body in the New Testament. So that is just a biological, physical reality, right? That women are anatomically, physically weaker than men. You know what? Here's the point. Even if that weren't true, even if, he, even if it weren't about the physical, the physical stature of women, the reality is in Peter's time, women did not enjoy the same level of stature, the same level of status and rights as men did in the Greco-Roman world. So they were at a disadvantage. They were literally in a societal weaker position. But notice this, Peter reminds Christian husbands that their wives are heirs, literally co-heirs with you. He says, they're co-heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Peter reminds them. He's like, there may be a lot of differences in the status and your physical appearances and all the things, all those things. But here's what's most important. She's your equal partner partner in God's gift of new life. You're co-heirs. The most important thing is what you have in common. You're saved by the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Remember that. And you have to recognize this is countercultural. See, here's what's funny. As modern day people, we read this text and the first part seems countercultural to us. What's all the submission stuff and, right, call your husband Lord, like Sarah called Abraham Lord. Like that seems, you know, way like out of sync for us. And then we get to this part and Peter says, be considerate to your wives. And we're like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Guess what? For ancient leaders, it was the complete opposite. When they got to this part in the world they were living in, then their eyebrows started raising like, what is this guy talking about? Because you have to recognize that, that in ancient times, men married for status and to produce legal heirs. It was a different world. Men did not marry for love or happiness or sex. Uh, they married for other reasons. So if a man wasn't happy with his wife, he could divorce her for any reason. He could get a mistress. He could treat her however he wanted to. But Peter says, not so for Christian husbands. She is your equal partner and co-heir in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, that was revolutionary for the time. That was revolutionary for the time. In fact, in many ways, this is the seed of, of what changed things. And it took a few millennia and it took a few centuries to work things out. But this is so, so much of the, the root of what changed things in Western civilization for how men and women relate to each other. We, we don't give enough credit to, to what the New Testament did, how Christianity elevated women. And so he says, husbands, in the same way, everybody say, in the same way, 
In the same way, right, we're talking about this big picture of submitting to authority, submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, recognizing that our relationships aren't just for us and our self-satisfaction, that they're an opportunity to influence the world for Jesus. In the same way, just as your wife's submission and honoring you is an expression of her devotion to Christ, the way you treat her is your expression of your devotion to Christ. In the same way, let's keep going. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So Peter says that a Christian husband isn't to be demanding or selfish, which was so common for the time that they lived in, but he's to be considerate, sensitive, and serving, following the example of Jesus. If Jesus was a husband, how would he be a husband? What would it look like? That's what Peter's saying. And I love this. This literally translates from the Greek this way. Husbands, this is, a little, this is a little bit janky at first, but listen to this. Husbands, likewise, dwelling with your wives according to knowledge. In other words, live with your wife knowledgeably. <laughs> live with your wife knowledgeably. In other words, husbands, if you are going to care for your wife well, you're going to have to devote yourself to learning about what she needs from you. You're going to spend your life learning about what she needs from you. Why is that? That's because men are naturally clueless about women's needs. That's why. We are naturally clueless. They are wired so differently than us, mentally, emotionally, physically. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you are different from us in every way, okay? I don't have time to go into all this, but, man, you go into um, a man's mind and, you know, what's going on in his brain. It's pretty simple. There's not much going on in there, you know. He might be thinking about sports or what he's going to have for lunch or sex like 90% of the time. That's about it. Guys, you go into a woman's mind, it's a labyrinth in there. It's a maze. You may never find your way out. <laughs> be careful. They're wired so differently than us. We're so different from each other. I am 20 years on the job and taking notes. In most days, I'm still trying to figure out what it is that Amy actually wants, Okay. Can I get an amen from all the guys in this place today? You are not alone, brothers. We're in this together. Lord, help us. Okay? When you signed up for marriage, you signed yourself up to study and learn your wife's disposition in her heart because she's wired differently than you. She's more sensitive than you, most likely. She's probably more emotional than you, and that's not bad. She's just different. And so I know I have to be a student of my wife. I'm still studying and learning by the grace of God, but I'm making some progress, amen? 20 years in, I'm learning a lot, but I'm making some progress by the grace of God. So husbands, if you wanna get serious about bringing healing to your marriage. You gotta get committed to dealing with your stuff. I'd say the same thing for wives. We always wanna change them. <laughs> we always wanna change them. We pray a lot of prayers about, Lord, change them. You gotta get serious about working on yourself and, and learning about what your wife needs. Learning about what your spouse, and I would say the same thing for wives, but I'm talking to the husbands for a moment. Learning about what it is your wife needs. And notice this, here's what he says. He ends this whole section, this whole verse by saying this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Be considerate in the way you treat your wife. Recognize that she's a co-heir in Christ so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know what Peter's saying to us? He's saying it's impossible to, for us to be right with God and wrong with our spouse. It's impossible for us to be right with God and, and, and not be treating our spouses right. Like God wants us, let me just talk to the men for a moment. I, I know it applies both ways, but God wants us to treat his daughters well. I mean, I'm a father of 
three boys, okay? So this analogy doesn't work as well for me, but some of you dads in here, you have, you have girls. And imagine that your daughter grows up and gets married to some guy who mistreats her. That would be awful. And if that is your reality, I'm very sorry. But imagine your daughter marries some guy who mistreats her, and then your jerk son-in-law comes to you and wants your help for something. Hello? What's your disposition going to be toward him? Well, why don't you start treating my daughter right if you want something from me, right? Here's what, here's what Peter's saying. You're going to their heavenly father. You want him to hear your prayers? God cares how you treat his daughters. It's impossible for us to be wrong with our spouse and to be right with God. If you want your prayers to be effective, then we got to get this right. Okay, here's the third part. I know we could have done a whole series on that today, but we're going to keep moving here. Here's the third part. Peter talks about how Christians should relate to each other into the world, okay? So for those of you who aren't married here, this may relate to you a little bit more because this is for all of us. He gets to verse eight and nine and he says this, finally, all of you, everybody, all of you believers, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing, may inherit a blessing. And so Peter says, finally, all of you, to all of you believers, he gives them some general instructions about how to relate to each other and to the world. In verse eight, he talks about how Christians should relate to each other in the church first. Look at this list of things. Let me ask you this question. How many of you think the church of Jesus Christ would become stronger and better if Christians embrace more of what's on this list? Put the verse back up there, please. Let's look at verse eight. He says, all of you, here, here's the list, okay? All of you be like-minded, that's unity. Be sympathetic, sensitive toward each other. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. How many of you want to go to a church and be a part of a church where that list of things is lived out? <laughs> where we're more thoughtful of each other, sensitive toward each other. There's humility. There's not people gossiping about each other. There's not drama. There's not people being offended by everything. But the people of God are dwelling together as the family of God in unity. I want to be in a church like that. When you're in an atmosphere like that, there's blessing and there's, and there's wholeness and goodness. And so Peter says, embrace that. And then he gets to verse nine and he switches things and he begins to remind them of how they should live in relation to the world around them, how they should treat other people outside of the church. And so remember this, as he's writing this, these Christians are experiencing a lot of persecution, a lot of hostility from their, their neighbors who aren't believers, who are probably worshiping all of these pagan gods and really don't understand them so well, okay? And, and so he begins to tell them this. He says, let's read it again. Verse nine, he says this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. They, they were experiencing some real insults and injury. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. There's a blessing for you. There's a blessing for you when, you when you live this way, when you live this out. And we may not be experiencing the same level of persecution as these early Christians, but how many of you know we're living in a hostile world right now? We're living in a world that's on edge, where people are triggered, people are ready to fight you like in the grocery store, fight you for a parking spot, fight you on social media. I was in Verizon this week upgrading my phone, and these two Older ladies came in and ganged up on the manager. Oh my gosh. They started accusing him of here's what happened. They had just been in there like earlier that day or the day before. And the lady said, I want the newest iPhone. And the guy sold her the newest iPhone, the phone that's out right now, the iPhone 14. And I guess the new iPhone's coming out like next month, okay? 
And basically they were mincing terms. He's like, he's like, lady, I gave you the newest phone we had. I wasn't trying to rip you out. You said you want the newest thing. I gave it to you. She came in accusing. And these two ladies, Amy and I sat there and endured about an hour long argument. This lady was fighting the manager. You would have thought he kicked her puppy. You would have thought he like set her house on fire. Oh my gosh. He didn't give you the iPhone 15. Like it was, a, it was, it was about to be a, like a full blown like physical altercation in Verizon. Like, hello, that's the world we're living in right now. Like people are on edge about stupid stuff that does not matter. People are ready to be offended by everything. And let me just tell you something, church, we can end up becoming like that if we're not careful. We're living in this culture that tells you, be offended about everything, assert your rights, look out for yourself. You got to stick up for yourself. And Peter's saying, you are not called to live like that in this world. If you live like that, you will have no influence. You'll be like everybody else because that's what the world does every day. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't walk around. Imagine if Jesus was offended all the time. Oh my gosh. They killed him, by the way. <laughs> Can you imagine? The Pharisees hated on him. His own disciples didn't know what he was talking about half the time. Imagine if Jesus gave up and got offended like everybody else and started going on social media rants. <laughs> oh, help us today, Jesus. Peter's saying, but I'm being serious. Peter's saying, don't live like that. You can't influence the world if you live like that. You can't repay evil with evil. And he gives them some encouragement. He says, if you, if you do this right, there's a blessing for you. There's a blessing for you. Look at verse 10 and 11, and we're going to land the plane here. He says, for whoever would, would, would love life and see good days. Oh, stop right there. How many of you would like to love life and see good days? How many of you want to love life? Your life is blessed and you have good days, more good days than bad days. This is for you. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil in their lips from deceitful speech. You can't be gossiping about everybody. can't be talking about people all the time. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter says, God is present in your life. God sees everything and he's a much better judge than you. He's got your back. He's going to take care of you. He sees the way you respond to people. He sees how you didn't respond to that insult with an insult. You didn't respond to that person who tried to do you wrong by doing them wrong. You didn't get even with somebody when you had the opportunity. God is the righteous judge and he sees everything. And so we're gonna trust that he's present at all times in the way we treat people. And he's the one who's gonna bless me. He's the one who's gonna reward me. He's attentive to my prayers. Come on, you're going through something right now where someone hurt you, where somebody treated you wrong, where they did you a real injustice. I'm not belittling that, but here's what I want you to take comfort in. God sees you. He is your loving heavenly father. He is your advocate. He is your judge. Nothing gets by him. He's the God who one day is gonna set everything right and he hears your prayers. And so we're gonna let go. We're not gonna get even. We're gonna do what Jesus did. We're gonna break the cycle of always getting even. And we're gonna say, God, I can absorb this and release the pain to you. I don't have to get back. I can do what Jesus did. I can do what Jesus did and let, let the cycle of tit for tat I can let it go. And you're going to help me because I can give it to you because you're a righteous and holy God. Amen? That's how we break the cycle. And so let me just remind you today, every relationship is an opportunity for us to influence people for Jesus. In fact, I would say the only way we really influence this world is through our relationships. 
It's when people get around us, they see the love of Jesus in us. It's when people encounter the presence of God on your life. I've just said several things this past week and fresh off of a missions trip, just loving on children who live in really broken situations, being reminded that our world is so desperate to encounter people who carry the love and the presence of Jesus. Our world is so desperate. Listen to me, but you're going through your stuff. I've got my stuff. You've got your stuff. But let me tell you, in every direction around you are people who are going through so much church. We can't afford to not get this. If we're going to be a witness to a broken and dying world, we've got to get this thing that God is wanting to love this world well through us. And it starts with our own relationships, really. It starts with our husband and our wives. If you're married, I love what Mother Teresa said. You want to change the world, go home and love your family well. Why don't you work on that first? The, the, the writers of the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, love each other in the church first. Love each other in the church first. Love each other in the church first. If you will love each other well, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your, your love for one another. And then when you get out there in the world where it's everybody looking out for themselves and people rub you the wrong way, do what Jesus would do. Give people some grace. Forgive people. Recognize that people are broken. People are hurting and you'll begin to have influence. The world will sit up and take notice. Let me tell you some married people, some of you need to experience some healing in your marriage. Let me tell you something, this matters. This matters. Your, your marriage, it's not just for you. Christian marriage is, is marriage on a mission. It's a picture of how Christ loved the church. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. It matters for us to get this. Two people loving each other well for a long time, it matters. Two people loving each other well for a long time, it matters. And we got to get back to that. We got to get back to why did we fall in love with that person in the first place? And maybe you got to do some work and you got to get in counseling. You got to read some books. You got to get some healing. You got to do some work on yourself. Well, go ahead and do what you got to do because two people staying together over years, the world sits up and takes notice of that. It matters. It matters because your marriage is a mission. It matters how we treat each other. It matters how we treat each other in the church. It matters that we put down roots and we overcome offenses and we get bouncing around from church to church. It matters that we love the world around us because by this, all people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Every relationship is an opportunity for influence. So would you stand with me today? Can we ask God to help us today? Lord, we need your grace. We need your spirit. Would you stand with me? In just a moment, we're gonna receive communion, but can we just ask God to help us today? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we open your word and it speaks to us. It's powerful. It's alive. It changes our hearts today. And Lord, we thank you for this beautiful description of how we're meant to love each other. I pray for every person in this place. I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for people in relationships. I pray for people who are thinking about being married or people who want to be married one day. Father, take your word and get it into our hearts that the way we treat each other, it's really not just about each other. It's an act of, of submission to you. It's about how we live for you. And so, Father, we're praying for your grace today in this place. God, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for forgiveness. Father, some of us, especially married people, need to go home and we need to have some conversations. And there needs to be some forgiveness and some grace. God, I pray you take us back to what we saw in that person from the very first day 
Take us back to the day we fell in love with them. Take us back to that simple love that we had of why we fell in love in the first place. God, take us back to our first love. Father, we're praying for an infusion of grace in marriages today, healing in marriages today. People who need to take a step to get counseling, give them courage to get it, to open a book together, to pray together, to seek out help. Father, help us to do it. Lord, I'm praying for every person in this place. For those who need to forgive somebody today, who need to let go of something, Lord, today we can let go because you forgave us. So we release those hurts to you. God, make us your people, make us your family. God, make us those who carry your presence so we can be an example of your love. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.